on this episode of The Naturist Living Show, Nude Photography. This episode of The Naturist Living Show is brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. At Bear Oaks, we offer traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Free your body, free your mind. www.bearoaks.ca Welcome, dear listener, to episode 112 of The Naturist Living Show. My name is Stéphane Deschain, and I'm your host for this podcast and the owner of Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. And we got another comment. Hi, Stéphane. This is uh, Alexander Monk. Uh, I have listened to your show for about over two years, and I just found it, like, really wonderful that you have like so many like options and so many topics on naturism. My wife and I have been like naturists for a little over ten years since we got married and we're always like just listen to your show every chance we get. You know, ever since the, I first found your show, it was like really, really amazing that there was like so many topics on naturism that I never even knew it existed. So I learned a whole lot from it. I was wondering like what you thought about it because I don't recall uh, about your show when it comes to like being barefoot in this barefoot uh, naked and uh, in this benefits because in my household uh, we're, we're always like barefoot uh, as much as possible and uh, even myself I don't even like being like wearing shoes unless I absolutely have to so I was wondering, like, what, what your thoughts was it on, on it in terms of being like barefoot naked? Thank you so much. Have a good day. Well, I I try to be barefoot more often. I've seen uh, some of the young folks who work at the park uh, by the end of the summer develop some very strong feet because they walk barefoot all the time. And uh, unfortunately, I'm not there as much as they are. And in the city, barefoot is uncomfortable and maybe even dangerous. But I do think that, uh, like the rest of our body, we've made our feet weak with too much support. And there's a lot of other people who seem to think that. So, I mean, there's a lot of these shoes now that are non-supportive that you're supposed to do. But you have to be careful because you can't... When I run now, I run on a treadmill mostly at home, especially in the winter. But I run barefoot. But you can't just go from having your foot supported all your life to suddenly having no support, uh, you'll be in pain. Just like if you've worn a bra all your life, you suddenly drop it all together, you're going to have problems if you do it that quickly because your body's not used to it. So it takes a little bit of uh, easing into it, but I think overall, once you're into it, it's so much better. And uh, we're addressing a topic that is uh, uh, quite an issue, an issue in uh, most naturist nudist places, and that's photography. 
you know, in the beginning of the movement, in the early parts of the 20th century, people didn't worry about uh, who had your picture, because if you had it, you had it at your place, and you didn't have it everywhere, and it was hard to get it. Even if it was in a magazine, it was in a magazine that you'd buy as a naturist magazine, which was also hard to get, and you probably wouldn't buy unless you were a naturist. But today, things have changed. I was watching a uh, an old documentary from the 70s that was done by the BBC, And there's a, a man being interviewed in a naturist resort, and he says, oh, yes, well, I wouldn't want my employer to know and I would because, you know, I'm a teacher or something like that. And I thought, oh, well, they're going to know now. But then, of course, no, because it was a North American person who was in Europe. So the thought that a BBC interview on naturism uh, would show up in North America was highly unlikely. So it was a different time. But, of course, now it's on the Internet. So... Um, it's everyone knows. <laughs> so that's the issue. Don't, if somebody has a nude picture of you, it's a question of power. And it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one because there's a concept that if somebody has your picture, there's some sort of power. In other words, uh, in situations where a celebrity uh, took nude picture as, uh, when they were younger and or earlier in their career, and now somebody says, give me money or I'm going to publish them, They seem to have power. They don't want them published. There's some sort of problem if there is published, which we could get into a long discussion about whether there is or not. And they're often willing to fight, use lawyers, or pay to prevent it from happening. Um, and now with phones, of course, every cell phone is a camera and a darn good one in most cases. Uh, and people are always on their phones. That's even more complicated. A, a picture is so easily taken and so frequently taken, um, and people are always holding their phones that people get uncomfortable. We've always had a, a policy, a very, a very liberal policy compared to a lot of clubs, of go ahead, take pictures. There is no anti-photography policy at Bear Oaks. In fact, I, I, I would encourage it, because when I was, uh, when we my family, my wife and I, uh, were younger, um, and we go on family vacations. We went to nature's resorts, and we wanted to take family pics, and some of the places didn't allow pictures. And I was always bothering us because we weren't doing anything wrong. It was for us. We obviously had no problem with it. We weren't going to take pictures of people who weren't okay with it without their permission. We made sure nobody was in the background. Um, And so even in the places where there was no photography, we often snuck some pictures when nobody was looking because we want to record our family vacation. We want to have memories. And um, so when we started Bear Oaks, bought the club that became Bear Oaks, we uh, made a policy that says photography is fine as long as everybody's okay with it. The problem in the last few years we've been having is with all these phones, with these fancy cameras, is that you never know whether somebody is taking a picture or not when they're holding up their phone. And so we have had to check fairly frequently. And this last year, it just became silly. Uh, mo most of the time, there was nothing. Uh, sometimes there was something that was innocuous. There was a, a funny one. It was a man who was taking pictures of uh, rocks. And people with a big camera with a big lens, and and people were very suspicious this summer. That's what kind of person? That's just a subterfuge for taking pictures of us when we're not looking as he moves his camera up. So I went to look, and I must have gone through a hundred and something pictures of rocks because that's literally what he was doing. So what we decided to do is we decided to order 
uh, stickers. We ordered special stickers from Cam Jammer, which is a company that makes these stickers that they say don't leave a residue and won't damage the lens, and they're bright and pink. And we'll give those to everybody who comes in. So if you're using your cell phone, then you put the sticker, and there'll be no more misunderstandings. Um, hopefully, that will make everybody more comfortable, but we still don't prohibit photography. We still want people to take pictures and enjoy their time and get memories and and share because when you share it on social media you help us so um that's that's the long story on our photo policy but there are um there's all kinds of aspects with photography and children is a big one and uh what it means and what power it has and if somebody misuses your picture is it your problem is it you who is upset or is it them that violating it? Who Should you prevent them somehow from doing it? It's, it's a complicated topic. And often uh, the people who are the victims, if you will, when your picture is misused, is blamed for allowing it. Well, what do you expect the other people to take naked pictures of you? But you could say that about so many things. You know, that's victim blaming. That's like saying, you know, you wore a short skirt. What did you expect to be sexually assaulted? I mean, it's it doesn't make sense. What we need to do is find a way to um, prevent the, the perpetrators from violating us. But anyway, so all of that to say is I thought this would be an interesting topic of discussion with a professional. And so Matt Hammond was there for the very first um, naked state artist residency. He's a, he's a professor. He's a professional photographer. He's an artist. And he has taken lots of pictures of nudity uh, of his family, including his children. So he, and he used to work with Jock Sturgis, who you may know worked uh, in uh, Montalivet and took a lot of pictures of nude people as well. Uh, mostly nude young women, but it's another discussion at some point. And in fact, we get into it in this interview. And so I gave Matt a call, and we had a discussion about what photography is and what it means. Uh, sure. My name is uh, Matthew, or Matt Hammond. Uh, I'm a practicing photographer and a member of the faculty at the University of Montana. I shoot uh, primarily portraiture, or um, I guess I would... Uh, more precisely describe it as uh, environmental portraiture, uh, images of real people doing real things in whatever environment is natural to them. Um, yeah, and I, I shoot uh, fine art work for my personal stuff and then uh, commercial projects as well. So, uh, and you're also an alumni of Naked State, right? First year, I think, in fact. Yeah, first uh, the inaugural uh, year of the Naked State Artist Residency, which was um, an amazing experience, which uh, shifted my uh, perception and relationship to um, nudity and the naked body pretty dramatically. Even uh, you know going in feeling like I had pretty liberal views, it was uh, just enlightening and refreshing to to have that experience. So the um you're more of an art photographer. Would that be would that be accurate? I think so. Um, I guess art photographer as opposed to documentary um, photographer. Uh, in that, I make work 
hopefully, although I often utilize a, a documentary aesthetic and to a degree a documentary approach, um, but ideally I allow a little bit more ambiguity and room for interpretation and uh, different entry points for a viewer, which would kind of shift the work beyond uh, being you know, commercial and didactic or, or something that's purely photojournalistic. Yeah, so th there's people take pictures for, or in a, well, everybody takes pictures now, right? That's the whole thing, right? We yeah. So you have pictures of my trip, pictures to share on my social media. Uh, you can take pictures for to document an event, i.e. for news, I guess. Um, you can take pictures for specific artistic purposes you can be a portrait photographer that comes and shoots your family pictures or school pictures you can do you have people who shoot weddings what's the difference between all these people and these ways of doing photography um i would say i mean occasionally there would be technical differences you know how they arrange uh for the image to be made or how they interact with their subject um their motivations might be different, whether their intention is to accurately describe uh, something that took place in front of the camera or, you know, conversely to set up something that wasn't serendipitous, but was like carefully arranged and designed, uh, which is a way that I often shoot. And then uh, the third uh, area of difference across those, you know, various modes of photography would be the, the ultimate, um, venue uh, that the images are displayed in, whether they're on social media or in advertising, um, maybe in an editorial in a magazine or, or simply, you know, stashed away in, in a family photo album for uh, intimate viewing among family members and friends. And a lot of what you're doing, uh, a portion, I don't know if it's a lot, but it's a significant portion from your website is documenting your own family as well. Yeah, I have um, a portfolio that's currently uh, titled Daughter, which is essentially the, you know, my experience um, with my first child. I have a, a second uh, two and a half year old son who's starting to appear in that portfolio. But uh, yeah, my daughter um, sort of uh, when she arrived became a muse of sorts and uh, someone that I've documented naturally. Um, just to maintain a record of that experience of my life, one of the most significant, um, uh, fulfilling and challenging experiences of my life. Um, but it's also sort of become a, a creative project in that I'm trying to document, um, you know, the highs and the lows throughout allowing beauty and the grotesque and all of this and, and the, um, kind of the, the truth of that experience. As, as kind of odd, odd as it is to describe the truth in photography. Um, but yeah, uh, I photographed my, my family quite a bit for that project. So um, your wife and daughter are often nude in the pictures as well. Yeah, and that um, is motivated, I think, primarily... I, I wouldn't uh, refer to us as naturists uh, because we aren't committed and dedicated to being nude um, as a primary, you know, the primary uh, way of being in the world. But uh, 
we are comfortable being nude. Oftentimes it's more comfortable and it's easier. So for that reason, we're often nude. So any time we're in a situation that doesn't require clothing because of you know the public uh, view or, um, and avoiding offending people, we typically choose to go nude. The other reason we're often nude is that, that since the Naked State Residency, I actually make an effort uh, to be nude around the house in front of my children more than I would in the past because I want to demystify um, the human body and any of the uh, sort of um, taboos that I think I can see immediately um, my daughter becoming aware of around the naked body. So in that regard, we kind of intentionally at times around the house, whether we're jumping through the sprinkler or bathing outside, um, we don't wear clothes. And I make an effort, you know, in the morning I'll take a shower and dry off. And when I would typically go and start to, you know, put clothes on to get ready for work, um, I'll walk out into the kitchen and hang out in the nude for a little while. So you you obviously don't live in an urban or suburban area if you can be nude outside like that, right? Yes, we live rurally. And uh, while our closest neighbor, um, if they were really paying attention, might uh, look up the road and, and see us uh, being naked outside. But um, yeah, we live rurally. And so around the house, uh, we're often nude. And, and here in Montana, you can very commonly be out in the wilderness and find a place to be swimming uh, and and not really need to wear clothes because you have the whole place to yourself being a really low population part of the country. Hmm. But so you said that your experience with Naked State and, and your exposure, pardon the pun, to naturism mm-hmm. um, impacted how you were living and, and maybe even taking pictures. But you actually had an experience indirectly with naturism before, with another photographer's work. Uh, True. So you're um, referring to Jock Sturges, who um, I was an assistant for uh, when I was in grad school. must have been about 2000 to 2002 when I was in graduate school in Seattle, and he had moved up there from the Bay Area of California. And I started working for him, so I had a, quite a lot of experience uh, printing his images in his dark room and um, assisting him um, in various aspects of his uh, photography. Yeah, yeah. And Jock Sturgis, uh, for those who don't know, um, took a lot of photos at uh, CHM Montalivet in France of uh, naturists uh, who were there on the beach and got into some trouble for it, uh, as well, and was pursued by the authorities and eventually won. Um, was that before or after, uh, you were working with him? That was, uh, all of that controversy, um, that he went through and the FBI investigation happened prior to me working for him. Um, Sally Mann, another, um, notable photographer who's an inspiration of mine, also had uh, suffered the same uh, sort of investigation by the authorities. Uh, but that had pretty much um, dissipated the, you know, the legal trouble associated with that when I was working with Jock. Um, but not the controversy. You know, there's it's really quite a polemic, I've noticed, um, around 
how appropriate it is to present the nude body, particularly when they're younger people, uh, as is often the case in Jock's work and currently in my own work that uh, my daughter and son appeared uh, naked in at times. So nude photography of children was the problem for both Sally Mann and Jock Sturgis. And when you were working on that uh, with Jock Sturgis, how did you feel about it when you first saw it and I guess worked with it to a certain extent? Well, you know, as I mentioned, I have pretty liberal views. Um, I grew up in a, a family and as a really uh, young child, uh, some of my first memories involve swimming or skinny dipping, as we called it, with our family and other uh, groups of people um, who were friends of our families. So generally, I felt, you know, comfortable um, about nudity, the naked body, photographs of nudes. Uh, and I was a fan of Jock's work uh, before I met him and, and started working with him. Uh, but to be 100% frank about it, working with him and seeing the number of images that were really pretty, I think, biased towards idealized body types, um, female and younger uh, body types, I started to ha you know, have a, a, a degree of um, like critical consideration of, of the the pure motivation behind his work. And while, you know, I am interested in beauty and I appreciate beauty, I realized that a lot of the way that Jock might um, defend his work as being natural, et cetera, um, didn't address the issues of sort of bias towards ideal bodies, uh, ideal body types, and uh, typically female, and all of those stereotypes of beauty um, in advertising and in that, you know, people are, are kind of subjected to throughout their lives and then affect us pretty significantly psychologically about body image. Yeah, there's definitely, Jock Sturges is definitely, uh, the work is, how should I say, other than the fact that he's taking pictures of naturists, which is not typical, there's something about the, the typical nude, um, in the work he does. One is the, the people he selects are generally younger people, though there's a few exceptions, and all in fairly good shape. Um, you know, that's the classic nude, is a, which has a tone of being exploitive for that reason, I guess, right? Right. I think, you know, the subject matter, um, and this is, you know, I've seen beyond the books that are published, uh, which are carefully curated and might show a broader range. I've seen the thousands of images that um, he was shooting at the time and, and I believe continues to. And that's when I sort of got the sense of kind of uh, bias or tipping the scale toward uh, work that was mainly about the objective beauty of the body and a certain type of body. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a way to kind of break that down, I think... It, Technically, in photography, is if you look at an image of a person and uh, a wide aperture, the camera is used to create shallow depth of field so that the environment that they're in um, becomes less kind of uh, significant or descriptive of who they are, 
um, what they're doing or the world that they live in and really focuses, uh, literally the focus is on the quality of the body, the skin, the pose, the gesture, the gaze that, you know, then we get into, um, the realm of objectification, right? Right. So, um, I think the, the work that I made when I was, uh, at the naked state residency, um, was an effort to allow a little bit more narrative um, and background to emerge into the the photographs at times. So it wasn't purely about a figure study, right, or objectification of the body. So knowing that what Jock Sturges and Sally Mann have gone through, uh, do you not worry about your pictures? You know, I I don't worry i think i feel that i would cross that the bridge if any sort of legal um issue emerged i would cross that bridge um when i came to it i have uh heard uh, a certain amount of criticism you know immediately in person and um sometimes second or third party and then also online uh from people who question, you know, why I would allow images of my children to particularly to be on the internet, um, why I feel it's necessary to do that. But I have, uh, some, some strong convictions about, uh, why it's appropriate and why it's, I, I would even describe it as being necessary. So let's ex let's explore that a little bit, uh, and let's let me ask you the questions that people probably have already either asked or most likely even didn't even ask. They just made a statement. Uh, you're making child pornography, um, right? I think that that is, in my opinion, looking at the imagery, so fundamentally, obviously, not the case. And that there's no um, reference to eroticism. And I'm trying to choose my words carefully here. And I know there's a gray area because I, I know that all people are uh, sexual and sensual. Um, and I think that, again, that's natural. But uh, I think of child pornography being uh, purely about the exploitation um, and objectification of uh, eroticism or sexuality in a child that's inappropriate, right? Um, and, and violent, right? It's a violent act. It, 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 it essentially violates um, their privacy um, and their agency as people. And I, I, would challenge anyone to look at really any of the work that I'm making um, and point out images that that cross into that that territory of uh, violating uh, my children or objectifying them or presenting them in a way that's purely uh, for erotic purposes. Of course, there's a degree of sensuality um, because we're uh, you know sensuous beings, but pornography. Um, I would argue against for sure. Well, th it takes two two people to have pornography. It's pornography is in the intent of the creator and the perception of the recipient or 
uh, of that image. So, so the example I often use is, you know, a, a picture of a foot in a podiatry magazine is clinical. And in Foot Fetish R Us magazine would be pornography. Um, now, the you may not intend for your pictures to be pornographic, but could they not be to somebody who is perceiving them that way? Uh, right. And um, this brings up a really uh, good point. And I think this is the question that I've more often heard or object objection to my work when people have said flatly, um, wouldn't you be uncomfortable if a pedophile, you know, was looking at these images of your daughter? Right. And I, and my response to that, uh, well, there are two sides of it. One, I feel that uh, because of the taboos of the naked body in our culture, that has probably, uh, in my guesstimation, become a source for any sort of deviant or criminal or violent behavior around uh, nudity, new children, etc., um, because the concealing, hiding away, or making taboo the nude body creates these fetishes. So my argument, you know, to continue uh, steadfast and sh shooting what seems natural and beautiful and ordinary to me is to not uh, surrender to or empower what I find, you know, I guess it's a political point of view as a problem in our culture that we fetishize um, the body. Uh, and then uh, on the same, in the same note, uh, I would argue that my images don't create um, pedophiles, right? I mean, someone would have to have developed that uh, sensibility in their psychology before having seen the images and because the photographs of my daughter aren't actually her, right? There's no physical relationship once the uh, photograph is made, then it's no, no, neither here nor there to me if some person who I don't know and don't observe uh, is out there on the internet somewhere and is aroused by a picture of my child. It doesn't, uh, it's not, yeah, a concern of mine and I don't want to empower that by um, editing uh, my work. So, fair enough. Um... But the other part you said is not violating her privacy, and I'm sure some people have told you that she is not making, even if she is making a choice, or he's making a choice, so you have two kids, even if they're making a choice, they're not making a choice with informed consent because they don't understand the world and what may happen to these images uh, as they grow older. So are you not really why would you take the pictures people would say now when they don't know and they can't really really truly consent um yeah that's an, i think another great question and one that i've uh, faced a little bit and um on the one hand it would take someone observing how the photographs are made uh, to know that um i allow my children to make the decision um and sometimes I, i'm frustrated because there's an image that I find beautiful and I want to take the picture and they're just not interested in um, holding still for a moment. Uh, but I respect that. Um, but I, I've heard, uh, again, the point that, oh, the children are too young to be aware of what they are presenting or revealing. 
and uh, because of that, you shouldn't um, allow it. And there's, I think I had mentioned to you an email a while ago, a photographer, uh, a noted uh, photographer, Christopher Ander Anderson, who has a book called Sun, S-O-N. Uh, and in an interview, he mentioned that he had stopped making images of his child until his child is old enough to consent. Mm -hmm. um, so my response to that uh, question, however, is that uh, when my daughter or son are of an age that they become self-conscious of the pictures of them being nude and on my website or wherever it might be. If they're published in a book, then there's nothing we can do. But I would at that point take them down and respect it. But, um, I guess and this is maybe a little bit, uh, roundabout way of getting to it and complicated, but, uh, I know that my liberal views came from a liberal upbringing. So my political views and, you know, many of my views on a number of um, philosophical questions were affected by the influence that my parents had on me and teachers, et cetera. So um, I think it's similar to presume that my daughter, who now has really an open relationship to her nudity and isn't very self-conscious about it, though I have started to hear her become self-conscious about it by hanging out with children who have uh, less comfort with their nudity. Um, I think her views on the subject are very similar to mine. She will openly say to people, oh, it's okay if we're nude because the body is beautiful. So some might say, oh, I brainwashed her into thinking that. And of course, this is, I've influenced her significantly by expressing to her my views on the naked body. And her views are currently similar. So she consents to the, her images being taken and being displayed, and she likes to see them. Um, so I, I think that, yeah, that was kind of a long way of answering this question. But that's sort of this, the space that I'm in. Her views are similar to mine. And of of course, I will admit that they have they are from having been raised by me and her adopting my views. Um, and at some point, if they change and she objects, then I will, you know, allow her that agency in the project. Uh, but currently, she's completely on board. Uh, and my son, who's younger, uh, doesn't have an opinion on the matter yet. So. No, well, I, yeah. I mean, the what you're describing is parenting, um, that it is our duty to impart our moral values on our children, whether, you know, it's with regards to religion or how we eat or how we live or how we treat, uh, you know, our neighbor and, uh, and our role in society and our duties that way. So these are all values, and, and of course, you will impart that on your children. Uh, to, to focus just on the nudity which seems a little weird. And, and, and that's my answer. I mean, obviously, I'm asking you these questions. Obviously, I agree with you, um, but I'm asking the questions because these are questions that we get all the time. And the one I've said about, because I have lots of pictures of my children as well, um, the one I've said about is I will debate with you whether ch your children should have the, uh, the right to inform consent if you take the nudity portion out, because I don't see a difference. 
in my view, as mm-hmm. a naturist. So if we want to argue whether you should take any pictures of your children until they're 18 and able to decide for themselves, that's a fair discussion, I suppose. I'm not going to agree, but that's a fair discussion. If it's just a fact that the pictures because they're nude, well, that's a different discussion. Now we're going to discuss the role of clothing and nudity in the body, not the pictures themselves. Do you see the difference? Right. Yeah, that, that's a great point um, for sure. And I think, again, it could be when you reference that it's generally a topic of parenting, then we can question, you know, any uh, political or psychological viewpoint or moral um, outlook that we sort of teach to our children um, is not necessarily uh empowering them or giving them agency in who they are or how they present themselves because it's been learned from us. So, um, yeah, I would agree entirely. And I think, uh, you're, I think more quickly able to identify the issue simply being about nudity and, uh, you know, that wants more being the, the overriding problem, the taboos we have. Well, yes, that's, that's it. Nudity is about sex. And that's ultimately whether people realize that that's their concern. Nudity equals sex. Children are nude, therefore children are involved in some sort of sexual thing. Um, that is the centuries-old debate about naturism and nudity, uh, whether it's children or adults. And we're nowhere near getting over that. In fact, I'd argue it's worse. I mean, when I was a kid... Uh, a picture of a new child was cute. Nobody thought about sex. Nobody thought about pornography. Nobody had any issue with it. And it was a, a, a children were not sexual, right? On the beach, when I was young, little children often didn't have bathing suits. Now people get offended if they see a three-year-old walking around with a bathing suit. Um, I think we have actually, in our attempt to shield them from sexuality, we've sexualized them. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. I think that's uh, the catch-22 in all of this. And I've noticed it as well. It's heartbreaking to see when, you know, we're at a body of water and my daughter, you know, prefers to go nude and she will be nude and um, some another child will snicker or point that out or, um, you know, I can start to see her self-consciousness about, nudity in her body starting to slowly creep in and it's it's so heartbreaking because um yeah it, that's where how we go down that slippery slope of uh body shaming and and you know all of the other psychological trauma that comes along with body image etc um so these photos you're just out of curiosity you're are you doing any exhibits of your children as pictures as well like uh, in galleries or or even at school do you show them to your students you know i i don't show them too often to my students mainly because uh as you know an authority in front of my students i don't want to present my own work and then have them assume that that's the type of work they should be making to get a grade or to please me, et cetera. So I try to avoid showing my personal work, but I um, am comfortable uh, exhibiting the pictures, the images from this portfolio. Most recently were uh, published in a magazine in France, uh, six six, uh, months did Mm -hmm. a a portfolio uh, piece 
featuring um, that series of images. And, uh, you know, incidentally, um, The Guardian newspaper in uh, Britain published an image from the portfolio uh, in which my daughter wasn't nude. Uh, but I've got a lot of strange reaction from colleagues who were asking me, you know, whether I was comfortable having an image of my daughter broadcast worldwide. And that's a question, uh, I guess that it, it's the type of question that allows us to remove the reference to nudity, but still uh, wonder about the presentation of images without the child's consent to a global audience. And once more, I don't understand uh, what the potential issue would be uh, because anyone walking by, any stranger can see my daughter, you know, whether we're in the grocery store, on the sidewalk, uh, images on Facebook, etc. Um, it's a question that, yeah, I don't, I don't understand even when, I, mean, I guess maybe when celebrities sort of cloister away their children um, to avoid that media attention or uh, fan attention, that would kind of make sense to me. But the average person like myself, I don't understand why it's an issue to have a photographic image of yourself published. Yes, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, my photo is now taken every day, everywhere. There's cameras mm -hmm. everywhere. Uh, and the you know there is always a concern at Bear Oaks that somebody might be taking surreptitious photography um, the cameras are minuscules now you can be hidden in almost anything yeah. um, I mean people say oh people could be using their cell phone you don't need to use your cell phone you're gonna get a pair of glasses or a pen that has a camera in it and nobody would can see the difference and so and it's a difficult I, I want to say, look, you can't take pictures here without permission, but I, I can't actually promise that nobody will ever take their picture. Um, it's not, it wouldn't be honest because it's possible. And I, you know, personally, I, if somebody takes my picture without my permission and then puts it on the internet, if I find out, I'll be annoyed. Uh, they may be out there already and I don't know, but I guess they're the ones in my mind who were doing something wrong, not me. And I'm not going to change my behavior uh, because of that. There was a an article just a couple weeks ago that uh, a comedian had accidentally put a picture of herself on, I think it was Twitter, where her nipple showed up. And then she deleted it fairly quickly. Um, but somebody had taken a screenshot. And so they sent it to her and said, give me money or I'm putting this out there. And her reaction was, here's a screenshot of this idiot threatening me. And here's the picture. Yeah. So it Very says, good. I'm going to, you know, I, I am not, I am not letting him have the power. Right. Which is an interesting thing. There is a thing about that in society that if somebody has a picture of you nude, in many cases, somehow that's power. Have you ever thought about that part and what that means? Well, um, I think once more it returns to what, in my opinion, is the fundamental problem in our culture. And I think it's less a problem in Europe and probably a greater problem in other cultures uh, in the world. But the taboo around the nude body then 
monetizes it and uh, empowers um, people, right, and, and victimizes others. If it were a situation uh, where, and, and I imagine that the, the true sign of a naturist would be someone who's not even concerned about being at Bear Oaks and having someone walking around with a camera, um, any, or any more concerned than they would be if they're walking down the street and they see somebody with a camera, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think once more, if as a culture, we didn't have taboos around the, the naked body, then uh, all of the discussion of um, the, the, yeah, the, the, the problems of presenting or you know, being photographed, et cetera, would, would go away. And I think it would also go a long way to, to, uh, diminish some of the issues that we, the psychological problems that we have in our culture around body image. And well, it's true. So if I said, Hey Matt, when you went to the mall yesterday, I took pictures of you walking around the mall. If you don't give me $20,000, I'm going to put those on the web. You'd be going like, yeah, whatever. Right. right? But somehow if I say, I have pictures of you in the shower, somehow that, maybe you don't care, but to a lot of people, that'd be like, oh my God, right? Right. Um, yeah, and I, and I think uh, I can say confidently and honestly that if that were to happen to me, I would just shrug and, and not be concerned. I think, you know, I might feel a little bit uncomfortable having images of my body, you know, publicly broadcast, but it wouldn't be traumatic to the degree that I would really worry about it at all. And I, maybe some of the complexity here emerges when often uh, celebrated people, celebrities are more fetishized and, you know, their image and the presentation of their image and their persona um, is somehow managed or curated more carefully um, because it's a, a you know a commodity for them. So I could see how a celebrity and nude images of their body um, might you know be of greater concern to them. But as a common person like myself, it wouldn't bother me so much. You might also ask that question of me. Okay, if someone said, "Hey, I have images of your daughter." in the shower and unless you give me this money, I'm going to publish them. That gets into a strange area because once more, I think one of the early um, questions uh, that we were uh, discussing, uh, one of my answers was sort of the venue, right? Or the motivation uh, for the image. Mm -hmm. And when it becomes, yeah. uh, the, the, has a, like a prurient motivation, et cetera, then that sort of shifts the audience uh, and how the image is perceived or something. And yeah, that would become kind of problematic, but um, yeah, I think so much of it is about our general taboo around the naked body causes so much suffering in our culture. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the, the celebrities that don't care, those images don't have the value. Ex precisely. It, yeah. The, the minute that one of them, uh, you know, there's a, something that where they're fighting it, that's when it's a news item. 
because that makes them more interesting. Oh, there is something I am not allowed to have. Now I want to have it, I guess, is the, the weird thing about the whole thing. Mm -hmm. right? Very much so. So you, you said something else earlier on. You said that you're doing this and you feel you almost have a duty to do it. I, when we're talking about pictures of your children without clothes yeah. on. Do you want, can you tell me what you um, meant by that? Yeah, well, uh, I don't know if I'd say a duty, but I, I, I feel like, one, it's authentic to me um, in terms of subject matter. Uh, there's, you know, my children and my wife and the, our lifestyle. Um, there are moments that are just so rich and beautiful uh, interactions with one another and with the natural world that uh, it's authentic subject matter to me. So I guess I have, uh, I would say if there's a duty there, I have a duty to myself to not edit, um, what is, what is authentic, uh, subject matter. And I, I feel that if I were to be conscious or concerned of a, potential misuse of the images or misinterpretation by someone who psychologically, you know, has uh, a different way of responding to them. As you mentioned, you know, sexuality, it, it takes two or eroticism, sex, et cetera. It's, it's, you know, involves mm -hmm. two people. Um, if I were to respond, uh, it, by, by editing myself to prevent that potential, um, I, I think then I am essentially empowering the taboo. And so maybe that's the other, if there is a reference to a duty, I feel like I have a duty to not allow what I feel is an inappropriate taboo in our culture to overpower what is authentic to me uh, in terms of subject matter or a way of living and um, you know, presenting images. I agreed with that. Uh, I would I would take that even further personally, though, in that we said that as parents we are we have a duty to impart on our children those values that we feel are important as we raise them, and one of them, in my opinion, is to not let others have power over them because they are so afraid of their nudity, of their body being seen or whatever. Right. right? That power we talk about only exists because we give it and we allow it. And if we don't have this shame, there is no power. Right, right. It's it's challenging, though. Um, as I mentioned uh, a couple of times, and heartbreaking to see that the subtlest and most brief, uh, you know, finger pointing or vocalization from another child on the beach that my children are naked immediately gets into their head um so yeah i i'm, I'm just amazed at what power that uh self-consciousness um has or, or that kind of presentation of an objection uh or vocalizing it has over um my kids yeah but if if you do it right what they're really learning is they're learning how to work and navigate society. Society is not comfortable with nudity. And so, you know, you can't be nude at the public pool. And um, I have, I'll, I'll tell you a short story. My, my firstborn, my eldest, uh, 
I don't know, he was probably five. He was in school. And he went to uh, his first birthday party with friends from school in, uh, a pub, in, a, in a pool. And my wife, Linda, um, said, came. she took him, I was working, and she came home and she said, yeah, I had to, uh, he wouldn't change in front of the other kids. I had to hold a towel. And I'm going, oh my God, I failed already. We failed our child. He's got body shame. Oh my God, that's terrible. I'm just, how could that happen so quickly? But then that weekend, we went to our local naturist club and he had his clothes off before the car was parked. Um, he he didn't actually have body shame. He had learned that with the people who have body shames, you have to act like you do because otherwise you don't fit in. And that's okay. That's actually good, isn't it? Right. I, mean, I guess that would ultimately resolve uh, psychologically. And I think, um, you know, we've noticed something similar. The, the closest, most convenient naturist or it's referred to as a, a nude beach um to us is this place called rooster rock in state park in washington the state of washington it's about six hour drive but it's midway between my parents house and my wife's parents so we make a point of it to stop there when we're traveling to or from um so that my kids can have that experience of being around other people in a venue that um nudity is accepted and that sort of reaffirms um that understanding that there there's time and place right and some situations sure nudity would isn't accepted and you know we're going to abide by that conventionality but uh, there are other places that it's completely accepted and then yeah that's really powerful to offer those experiences to our kids it is it's complicated raising children isn't it yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, so don't worry, you will screw them up in some way. We all do. Yeah. It's just hopefully it's nothing terrible and we'll live with it. Yeah. I've always said, you know, my children, everything about my children is ultimately my fault. Hmm. Uh, whether it's genetic or learning, well, me and my wife's fault and my responsibility, but I don't, I don't regret any of it. Yeah. I think I've raised two very wonderful boys. Well, men at this point. Um, but yeah, every now and then they have uh, things and I go, well, yeah, I probably could have been better at that or I yeah. could have taught them a different lessons or been a little bit better about teaching that value, I suppose. I don't know. But let's get back to photography. Okay. Um, so let's, let's talk more. I'm curious because you are in a unique position that you're teaching and uh, art and photography as art as when when does a person become an artist? When are they an amateur? What makes what where is that line? Mm, yeah. Um, in relationship to photography, I think it's pretty exciting uh, because you know, and I, I start my photo one classes first day or so introduction, I mentioned this to them, that the medium of photography has now become so convenient and accessible uh, that any of them can make images that are as beautiful or significant um, as any of the most celebrated images in the history of photography. 
And uh, Jeff Wall, um, a famous contemporary photographer, distinguishes, however, um, the artist or the, you know, the true professional photographer from the amateur by simply describing the frequency with which a professional can repeat uh, that masterpiece, right? So um, I guess I would say in terms of technical proficiency, you know, what separates an amateur from a uh, artist or a professional artist would be the frequency with which they make those types of images. But even more philosophically, I think what it takes to become an artist is having this relationship, an authentic relationship to the medium or the process, whether it's painting or photography or music and how sort of consistently that, uh, becomes a part of your life. You know, it's, uh, I would describe it as being similar to the designation between a naturist, um, and, uh, nudist or a, a common person, right? My perception of a naturist is someone who engages in a lifestyle, um, in which they're predominantly nude when the, you know, weather, climate, etc., um, supports that. And a, a nudist is someone who's more opportunistic, I would, I would mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. And nude photography. I mean, there's whole books on nothing but nude photography. It seems to be a topic and in of itself. Um, why is that? Is it because it's a taboo or is there some unique quality to nude photography? I don't think there's anything more unique about nude photography than, say, portrait photography or photographs of other inanimate objects but the issue here um, that is significant and specific to photography is the way that the camera describes a subject with a a level of detail and accuracy um, and this sense that we're you know in the presence of the actual thing and so of course when we start to add to the equation the the issue of the taboo um, of nudity and the the photograph allows us to sort of capture uh, and freeze the subject and view it in private, etc. The medium is sort of perfectly designed to engage with the taboo of nudity. And I think that's likely why there are, you know, books about nude photography, um, tech books about the technique of nude photography, Etc. And I, you know, I would also admit, however, and I do when I lecture and present um, work, when I've presented the the work that I made um, at the Naked State Residency, uh, I, I I know that the work suffers from the those historic problems of the medium that it objectifies uh, the subject, and then once the image is taken, the subject doesn't really have agency in the the image. Um, so yeah, uh, photography and the the nude, they're kind of inextricably, uh, linked that way due to the, the, the way that that photograph works on our psychology, right? We feel the sense of truth and accuracy and it's then like almost a surrogate to the actual thing, which then provokes that potential, uh, eroticism and, etc. in in the image. 
Well, I'm going to say something that somebody will they can quote totally out of context and make me look bad. I particularly love to see photography of nude children. Um, there's something yours and others is something about you see their little body. They're like little miniature humans, and you really see them. Do you know? And you yeah. you, but they are so comfortable, especially when they're very young with who they are. They're just so unaware. Um, I want to say innocence, but it almost makes it sound like they're vulnerable. That's not at all what I mean. I mean, it, they're just um, they're just being them, and they're truly themselves in a way that adults have a hard time being. Sure, I would agree with that. And, you know, a, a, another experience that I have that sort of validates the photographs and their, um, I mean, I guess innocence is a word. Uh, that could be used to describe them as the comments that my wife and I often make, or my parents and I make when we see them playing. And, and even in cases when they're, uh, you know, playing nude, we will just, uh, sort of gush this vocalization of our, how much we adore their bodies. Right. It's like, it's a mm -hmm. real, like a carnal, uh, sort of love for the just seeing the the beauty of their their bodies and um it, life is magical you've made that life right? right so it's you know it's wonderful subject matter consequently um for photographs right and and i think maybe some of the potential controversy that emerges in photography and the noted photographers like jock sturges and Sally Mann, and hopefully my work too, is where there starts to be this tension, right? This melancholy tension uh, in this transition from that sort of luscious, cute baby uh, to what is becoming like an adult, like some like a a, a person that is beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. And I think really great uh, photography, um, nude photography of kids and teens and adults has, you know, that you can see various moments in that transition uh, in which, you know, I watch my second kid, um, Emil, who's two and a half and he's at this, he's at that luscious, uh, kind of cherub state. And I know he's the last kid that we're going to have. And I, it's just so heartbreaking to see him getting a little bit older each day. And I know it's going to go away. But that, that's the way that I relate to the photographs, you know, and to then have somebody question whether or not there's something other erotic sensibility to them is, is really strange to hear. Well, there's also, um, see, when you're, you're immersed all the time and with everybody being nude, you don't see it as much. But I've learned that people are brainwashed to a certain extent that certain positions are pornography. Mm. So in particular, a woman of any age sitting with her legs apart is pornography. A girl, and uh, you know, uh, a little girl, tiny little girl sitting in a chair would naturally have her legs apart. But people will have a much more powerful reaction to that because they're used to seeing a similar pose as pornography. And I guess in the back of their brain, the things mesh and that's a very uncomfortable for them. Um, 
I'm very concerned about what pornography is doing because it's become so ubiquitous that there is, you know, it used to be that most people would have very little or almost no experience with pornography other than, you know, Playboy or something like that. But now everybody has seen uh, full video sex acts and all kinds of unusual fetishes, shall we say, Mm -hmm. uh, probably from a very young age, and it changes our brain, right? Right. Yeah. And photography is the medium of pornography, as is video? Yeah. No? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting to hear you mention that the issue of like the position or gesture of the body being more and less uh, pornographic. And, I, and that's a, a place that I have to sort of admit the degree to which I'm self-conscious. And as I'm making photographs and editing them, um, there are images that I might choose not to present because I see that potential way that the image might be read. And conversely, however, um, I also have this sensibility that there aren't enough images of male nudes in our culture. Um, and right. so then I, I intentionally, as I'm editing, and I see images in which my son is naked and his penis is visible. Uh, one specific example on my website is an image where my daughter is trying to lift uh, my son, Emil, into a, a metal bucket. They're playing out in the yard in a bucket full of water. And his leg, legs are sort of splayed and you know the center of the frame is his penis. And I, I'm very, con- when I choose the picture, and I, I think it's one that works effectively, one, it has, you know, this narrative, this fun story, but um, I feel this, like, since, uh, again, if, I don't know if duty is the right word, but yeah, I want, I want to kind of balance the presentation of bodies across genders and body types, et cetera. Yeah, it's it's also interesting that you're right, and I I know the I know the reaction. Um, somehow, it's perfectly okay to see somebody nude as long as you don't see any genitals or nipples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we all know the person's nude. We all know what's between the cross legs or whatever position they're in, uh, but that's not bothersome. But if we see a vulva or a penis, we have a problem. And uh, and it's such a small part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I encounter that quite a lot in my classes, where someone will be photographing this idea of nude nudity, but very carefully arrange objects or you know the pose so that no nipples um, or genitalia are viewed. And that's like immediately where I go and critique: is is this person nude? And everyone says, "Yeah, yeah, they're nude." And then I think, well. Why, why why is it being hidden and now I'm, we're, I'm more aware of how it's this effort at concealing it and the self-conscious reference there than simply doing it so I tell the students go back like do it again let's like if he's supposed to be nude let's like, let's see his penis you know yeah the latest edition of uh, the body issue of the Sports Illustrated all the athletes are nude but there is no female nipple. Male nipples, of course, are okay. Yeah. There's no female nipples. There's no penises. There's no vulvas. Uh, there's bums occasionally. And after I, after looking at a number of pictures, that's all I'm starting to look at now is not the picture anymore. It just starts to feel 
artificial and contrite and I don't you know it's not like these all these shots accidentally ended up that way um, and there's probably a thousand shots on a cutting room floor that didn't make it and some may be brilliant and maybe better than anything that's shown but they can't put it in yeah and it's really yeah. unfortunate yeah I wonder this might throw a, a wrench into the works too but there's the I think perception in our culture that that that's um, we're pretty uh, aware of that uh, the suggestion of nudity, right, is often more, I don't know, titillating or uh, erotic than the the full presentation of it, right? So there's a, um, and I guess this is informed by the taboo, right? If we didn't have the taboo, then the suggestion wouldn't lead our imagination anywhere. Um, but maybe to a degree, the work is then stronger in Sports Illustrated uh, without showing the full body, right? If, if it's for the purposes of arousing curiosity or something. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, see, and and I also have to remember that my per, my the way I look at things is differently than most uh, yeah. because of my naturist, my you know decades and decades of being a naturist. So I very much start to notice the lack of genitalia. To see them would not be shocking; it wouldn't bother me. To not see them after, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty, forty pictures, you kind of go like, "This is weird." Um, but maybe the general public doesn't have the same reaction. Probably the general public doesn't have the same reaction as I do. Yeah. I would imagine that's the case. So what is, when you see a picture that you really love, whether it's yours or somebody else that did it, what do you think it is about it that makes you love it? Um, I think... You know, without getting into the sort of boring references to the quality of light and composition, et cetera, uh, for me, ideally, there's a sense of narrative. And it doesn't have to be a specific story that's told, but there's, um, and in fact, I think it's even better that there's a degree of ambiguity there. So I, I tell my students, uh, a really great photograph is ambiguously specific or specifically ambiguous and that there's something engaging there, right? There's a, um, a metaphor or analogy or a story, but one that you can revisit over and over again, right? It's not so specific that you can get, you can understand what's happening or what's being said and move on. You can sort of return to it and each time you see it, if it's maybe hanging in the hallway in your house, each time you go by, it uh, bring, brings you in once more. You can kind of, your perception of it slow it shifts each time you see it. So um, that might be uh, a little bit esoteric way of describing what makes a good photograph. Um, but I think, yeah, that, that's the best way I can sort of articulate how an image works, you know, a painting, same way, right? It's, it's a sort of situation that's not so specific that you can understand it and move past, mm -hmm. but that you have this relationship that's complex. 
yes, you know, you're a portrait photographer, and I look at all the images you've taken at Bear Oaks, uh, which were a little different than some of your other projects. Uh, well, the project we were talking about with your your children, uh, because they were posed. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were always posed in an environment and there was definitely a story or something that makes you kind of ask questions and wonder about what it's about. Um, that was an interesting project, Gymnosophy, as you called it, mm-hmm. is, uh, which is on your website. Yeah. Um, is Gymnosophy over as a project? Um, hopefully not. I mean, I think... Uh there's a lot more I could do there with more time and more subjects. And I'd love to come back to Bear Oaks and continue to work on it. Um, it's just been a, a matter of, you know, balancing life and opportunities, um, to travel, et cetera, that, that, uh, has it in the state that it's in. Um, I even lo- had looked at some other naturist communities, uh, out here in the Western part of the United States, and had planned to visit some uh, recently, you know, over the summer. But then in uh, looking more carefully at their regulations, et cetera, around photography, um, there, there are some very uh, restrictive uh, policies at these other places. Um, so that, yeah, that didn't get very far. I mm-hmm. suppose I could contact the management and explain to them what I'm doing and see if there's any uh, way to work around their policies. But, um, yeah, it was a lot more supportive, uh, community I found, uh, at Bear Oaks. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a very common uh, thing in nature's parks to have rules against photography because of what we talked about earlier and the perception that there's some sort of power, you know, as much as we're trying to normalize the human body and the lack of clothing, it's not. People come from the mainstream world, and we're all working on it. And some some places try to challenge those values, or sorry, values because that makes it sound good, but yeah. those uh, th- th- those issues that we have, and and see them more as issues than. Uh, others, others are still more accepting of things being. You know, I go to to some places and you have to be dressed in the restaurant. What? Well, you have to wear clothes in the restaurant because it's not proper to eat nude. Why? Right? That's right. my question. Yeah. But that's that happens, and that, so that's where you see sort of the merger of the the, the, the textile world and the naturist world. And so, yes, you will encounter that as you go visit other places, but. Sometimes there's a rule and then there's reality if they know you and trust you. So definitely making a phone call uh, is, is worth it. And maybe maybe somebody will contact you because they've heard this and make you an offer. Yeah, yeah, that would be wonderful. So yeah, any of you listening out there, by all means, um, I'd love to continue to expand uh, this project. And I think if you look at it, you'll see that um, it... Uh, doesn't necessarily have a bias in terms of age or gender, body type, et cetera. I'm trying to really uh, look at a broad range of the various beautiful bodies that are out there um, uh, and and interested in making images. So interesting discussion. You know, there are so many types of photography. There's... uh erotic photography which 
naturism isn't, although uh, to be erotic or even pornographic, and I maintain there's a difference between the two, um, you have to be meaning to make that kind of photography and you have to uh, be as a consumer seeing it that way. In other words, um, you know, a picture of a foot in a uh, uh, podiatry doctor's magazine is just a picture of a foot. But a picture of a foot in a foot fetish magazine is pornography because the publisher meant it to be that way and the consumer of it uh, views it that way. So photography is, you know, whether it's clinical or pornographic or, or artistic or just casual family stuff is what makes a difference. But that is in the intent of the person that is taking the picture, and that's important. But then it's also in how the person who holds that picture is viewing it. And if they're viewing it the wrong way, I, if that was not our intent, they're the ones who are violating our rights. And we shouldn't limit our freedoms and our rights because some people do that. Uh, we should blame them. But really, should we, should we be concerned? Should we be worried? Should we let it bother you since that's not being done with our permission and in most cases we're not even aware of it um it's it's annoying and it's bad and i hate thinking of it but maybe i should think about it less and maybe that's the answer but if we lose the right to take pictures of innocent natural healthy naturism somehow we make it dirty we are admitting that there's something wrong which there isn't and we are making it wrong so that when the pictures exist they are pornographic um it's we have to fight that we have to in some ways we have to fight it by doing it in my opinion we have to fight it by keeping continuing to say that it's not the picture that's the problem it's it's who is using it and how they're misusing it that's what we have to do that's what we have to fight so and on that note, by the way, the uh, the uh, picture of for each episode, there's a picture. If you didn't know that, it's probably because you're using a podcast player that uh, takes the default photo, which is the the outline of the naturist family on yellow background. That's the show picture, and that is what we register the show, the, the naturist living show, as a podcast in all of the directories, and that's to prevent. A problem where um, you know blatant nudity if you will would get us kicked off and would cause a problem but there is a picture the picture is embedded in the mp3 and some uh, podcast players will show you that picture if you set it up to do that it's also in uh, the show notes and on the website so I actually spend a lot of time and often finding a good picture and uh, the picture you have here for this show is a wonderful family picture of Matt's family taken by Matt. And it shows you the beauty of what he does. And it really gives you that uh, that, that concept that, you know, if you're listening to this, you're probably a naturist, I'm sure. You're probably an ethical naturist, and you probably see beauty and innocence in this picture. But if the, somebody else gets this picture, they will see eroticism or pornography. And I, I, I that, that's as upsetting as that is, I don't want to give in and say, yes, it is, by not having the picture. 
So all that to say, if you want to see the picture, you go to the show website. And that's also where you get the show notes, uh, which is naturistlivingshow.com. And each episode has a photo um, that represents the show. Um, so if you've never seen that, then you can go back and see all the pictures. So that will be all for this episode of the Naturist Living Show. Thank you, as always, for listening. Again, my name is Stéphane Deschaines, and I am your host for this podcast and the owner of Baroque's Family Nature Spark. And thank you to Samantha, who helps put the show together and keeps things organized. Um, you can find links, as I mentioned, on the website, naturistlivingshow.com. And please keep sending your comments and your suggestions. I always appreciate getting them. The show's emailed address is contact at naturistlivingshow.com. I hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll join us again for the next episode of The Naturist Living Show. This episode of The Naturist Living Show was brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park, traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Traditional values means that naturism is more than just taking your clothes off. It is a life philosophy with physical, psychological, environmental, social, and moral benefits. Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park strives to promote those naturist values in a modern setting that provides the amenities and services that our members and visitors expect. Free your body, free your mind. Learn more at www.bearoaks.ca. on the reality of their own beauty. The judges wore clothing so as not to show favoritism.